For those of you that are joining us, we are in the midst of an Advent series. The Advent series is titled Light into Darkness. This comes from the very passage that Adam read from John chapter 1. In him was light, and the light was the light of men, life of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Each of the candles, as you see to my right, represents an aspect of the, love, or of, of, of the goodness and light of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Hope, peace, joy, and today we wrote, uh, lit the candle which symbolizes the love that Jesus himself brings into the darkness. There are three passages of scripture I will be reading from this morning and drawing upon to help you understand and grasp the love that Jesus brings in his first coming and certainly the love he will bring in his second coming. Coming is just another way of saying Advent. So three passages of scripture, one from Romans 5, verses six through eight, 1 John 4, 9 through 10, and Ephesians 2, 4 through 7. If you have a Bible or if you have a bulletin, you can follow along um, there. First, Romans 5, verse 6 through 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. First John 4, 9 and 10. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Finally, Ephesians 2. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Jesus, would you pray with me? Oh Lord, when our minds and hearts grow dark, the thing we need most is you. And indeed, your light shines into the midst of our darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. One aspect of your light that we need each and every day is the love that you have brought to us. You have shown to us, you have demonstrated to us. It is this love which changes us, transforms us, and some of us in here are a little reluctant to, to embrace or to be loved by you. Oh, by your spirit, would you soften our hearts and our minds that we might know the deep, deep love you have for us. Oh, would you do this through the preaching of your word and through my voice, this frail voice of my own. Amen. I'm gonna get a little spicy for you right now, okay? Not yet. Oh, boy, yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. All right, so on Monday, I'm staring at, okay, what am I preaching on on Sunday? I knew what I was preaching on. But I thought, I'm preaching on the love of Jesus. I preach on the love of Jesus all the time. That's good, that's good. But I wasn't feeling it on Monday. I was not feeling it. In fact, I was feeling cold and just, <sighs> love. 
Here's why I mean this. Love is something that is embraced both by the church and the world. I don't think that there's any question about that. It's a value that we share as a church with the world. Love is great. But the difference between the church and the world is how that love is expressed. And so when I see how love is expressed, which I certainly buy into and, and fall for, I see a couple things. First, I see love is floppy, okay? Love is just, you know, we just accept you as you are. And this is okay. You be you. As if, like me with my kids, just eat whatever you want. You want dessert for dinner? That is amazing. Go for it. Yes. That is me loving you. Now, we know that's foolish. But yet, this is a love that is often articulated and embraced and valued in the world. And it's floppy. It's got no backbone. Love is just not love is love is love. Love is not unconditional. Love is always conditional. You know that, right? I wouldn't marry my wife if she wasn't beautiful. Like, I'm just telling you that. I wouldn't have done that. It was conditioned on that. Love is not floppy. And so, in my mind, I kind of embraced this floppy love that is embraced by the world. And I just was thinking about preaching on love, and I was like, love is floppy. Ugh. The other thing, sometimes that I embrace, and this is another thing that I was a little spicy about on Monday. Not, not that love is floppy, but sloppy. Love is sloppy, like a Hallmark Christmas uh, movie, right? Like, oh, the sloppiness of these Hallmark movies that is just unbearable for me. Okay, I know some of you guys like it and embrace it and go through it and all that stuff, but I was not feeling mushy-gushy at all. And, 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 and mind you, I'm not saying that God's love is not sometimes mushy-gushy, but I just wasn't feeling it. And I don't know about you, I don't necessarily want a sloppy wet kiss and singing about sloppy wet kisses at church. And that's a song, it's in a song that is sung in churches. I want you to know that. There is a song that is sung in churches that says his love is like a sloppy wet kiss. And frankly, I don't want a part of a sloppy wet kiss. <laughs> so you can imagine that I'm a little skeptical about preaching the love if I've embraced a floppy or sloppy love. The question for us, though, this morning, and I don't know where you are. It's probably a, a whole different slew of where you're coming from. The question is, what is the love that Jesus brings? Is it floppy or is it sloppy? My answer to that is, I, I actually know. The love of Jesus has a backbone, and we're going to see what that backbone looks like. Okay, you might not, you know, sloppy. God's love for us is, is beautiful, and sometimes we're in a mood of like, affection. There's great affection for the love of God that he has for his people, great affection. But I wanna look deeply at the love of God, and I wanna shine the light of Jesus' love that he brings to us in the first advent and shine it into the darkness of your own heart. That's what I wanna do today. But I wanna tell you it's not floppy, and it isn't always sloppy. It's meaningful and significant. I've got three of these texts. I pulled these three texts from Scripture. And each of those, as you can see, pulls on the love that God has for his people. And what I want you to see is we're going to look at three different components to this love. And we'll go through these one by one. But what I want more than anything is your heart to be warmed by these truths. Because indeed, my friends, they will warm your cold heart. 
The love of God is a beautiful, beautiful thing, even when you don't feel it, including me. So let's jump in. Let's study these three texts and see the components of the love that God has for us in Jesus Christ. The first component of Jesus' love is that his love atones. Atones, A-T-O-N-E-S. The love of God is not floppy or sloppy, it atones. Look with me at Romans 5, verses six through eight. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. Now if you're tuned out, everything that I just said, listen to this part. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. To atone means to make something right. So if someone had done something wrong, but then totally redeemed themselves by doing something right, we would say they've atoned for themselves. They've atoned for their wrongdoing. And this is what Jesus' love does for us. It atones for our sin. It makes right what we have done wrong. And note this. This is so important that I want you to see this. This is not because we've done something right that he makes it right. It's simply because while we were still sinners, he then makes it right. He dies for us. This should warm our heart, this difficult truth to comprehend that why would God do this? Why would he die for the ungodly in their sinner place? And truly, it's hard to comprehend, and we can go down this and spend time, but one of the things that we have to see more than anything in this One truth from this that we have to know for certain is that his love for us is not conditioned by us. It wasn't because we saw something, he saw deep into the future that we were gonna believe. It wasn't because we have cleaned up our lives and and, and done what is right that now we are acceptable to him and that his love comes for us. No, it's despite us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us and this is his love. His love atones. Now, I do think it is good to consider why God would do such a thing, and I want to do this by illustrating something, an illustration, using an illustration that I've used before. I've told you about the book, Just Because You're Your Mind, written by Sally Lloyd-Jones. In this little book, a squirrel runs around the big wood with his father asking him, have I told you that I loved you today? And the little squirrel says, because why? The father doesn't initially answer, but the son runs around asking me, well, do you love me because I'm handsome, I mean, look at me, dad. I'm attractive. And the dad always says, no, that's not why I love you. Then he jumps around from branch to branch. He says, well, do you love me because I'm brave? And the dad laughs and says, no, that's not why I love you. Well, what about all these berries that I've collected? Do you love me because I'm collecting all these berries? No. Well, what about these trees that I'm climbing? Look at how fast and how high I can go. Do you love me because I'm good at climbing trees? No, that's not why I love you. Each time the father answers the son's question with a chuckle and a laugh. But near the end of the story, the son starts to get tired and he falls asleep on his dad's shoulder. And as his dad is carrying him to his bed and puts him in his bed, the father leans down and whispers into his son's ear, no son, I love you just because you're mine. This is a sweet story. One that I get to read with my kids and have fun with. And it's just a glimpse of what Romans 5, 8 gets at. It's a sweet story. He loves me just because he's mine. Now, 
This love that he has for us is not conditioned on collecting berries, climbing high, looking good, doing the right things, going to church, making the prayers, all those things. It's not conditioned on that. It's conditioned on his love, but it's not an unconditional love. It's conditioned on him dying for us. Never say this. I'm gonna tell you this, that the love of God is unconditional. The love of God is not unconditional. It is conditioned on Jesus himself who atoned for us. It's not conditioned on anything we've done. It's conditioned on him. This is his love, this great love. It's not floppy. It's not sloppy. It's just beautiful. Friends, let it warm your hearts. If you thought, I've not done what is right, God must not love me, doubt that. His love is not conditioned on you, it's conditioned on Christ. Look to Christ. This is the love of God. It is an atoning love. But there's a second aspect of God's love that we see from the text that we've chosen. And that second component is that his love averts. It not only atones, but it averts. A-V-E-R-T-S, averts. Consider what the Apostle John says in his epistle, 1 John 4, verses 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Here is an aspect of this atoning love that we cannot miss. And you might have missed it because it includes a word that is rarely used in our circles, in our life, in anything. God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is a sacrificial offering that averts the wrath of God. I'll say that again. A propitiation is a sacrificial offering that averts the wrath of God. And so what John is telling us in this is that God's love willingly allowed the wrath of God to sinners to go upon himself, to avert it from you onto him. This is what a propitiation means. Look, the wrath of God is a, is a terribly unpopular subject in, in, in the world and in the church today. People don't like to hear that God is vengeful against sinners. I, I remember hearing about the first great awakening and Jonathan Edwards you know, preaching the sermon, the sinners in the hands of an angry God. Oh my goodness, how could they preach sinners in the hands of an angry God? God forbid such a wrathful sermon come forth. But we must be skeptical to this, listen to what a scholar Leon Morris says of the wrath of God. If there is no wrath, there is no salvation. If God does not take action against sinners, then sinners are in no danger and in do not need salvation. Only when we take seriously the wrath of God against sinners do we put real meaning into the salvation that Christ wrought on Calvary. The idea that God is not angry with sinners belongs neither in the Old Testament or the New. It isn't Jewish or Christian. It is an alien intrusion from the Greek world of thought. For healthy religion, we need the concept of a God who is ultimately opposed to evil and takes action against it. Let me ask you this question. This is gonna help you reason this out and think through this. 
have you ever been wronged? Like unjustly treated. What is it that bubbled up inside of you? Anger. I mean, you got furious, right? And you had every reason for that. I don't think anyone could, could look at the situation, whatever that situation that you went through, and say, you shouldn't feel angry, right? I mean, your anger is valid if it's been coming from a place of being treated unjustly. So why would we then place that onto God? We do this. God, you shouldn't feel angry at sinners. Why? He's being treated unjustly. What, what gives you the right to feel justified in your anger and not God? And so the wrath of God is, a, is an important aspect of who God is. We must not leave this. So we have to do something with the wrath of God. We have to. In order for us to be in relationship with him and to know this. And do we have anything with the wrath of God? Oh, friends, we have a propitiation for our sins. Someone who's averted the wrath of God from us to himself. This is Jesus. He shows us his love in becoming a propitiatory sacrifice for us. The wrath that God has for sinners is placed onto Jesus. On the cross, Christ himself said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Upon him, the wrath of God was being placed so that it might avert it from you. And by faith, that wrath can be averted from you. We must not leave the wrath of God. This is an important part. And if you've never stood before God and been afraid, then you've never stood before God. I want you to know that. He is to be feared. He is intimidating. He's holy and righteous and just. And so he has to treat sin the way it needs to be treated, but he allows that wrath to be placed on Christ himself. This is a, this is a doctrine that I, I didn't quite grasp until I was probably in my early 20s. Maybe it's because a, a young mind doesn't quite comprehend this and you're trying to make sense of, is God angry at my sins? And I spent a lot of my childhood incredibly fearful that God would not love me because I've sinned here, I've done this, I've looked at that, I've said that, I don't wanna do this, all, all of these things. But when I learned that Christ shows his love through a propitiatory sacrifice, it was one of the most freeing realities for me in my relationship with God. No longer was I afraid to enter into prayer saying I've got to say the right things, do the right things in order for God to accept me and love me and, and to welcome me into his presence. No, God's anger and frustration with all that I've done, not done, looked, not looked, all these things, all of these things, it's already been taken care of because his wrath has been averted to Jesus and not to me. And so I can come into the presence of God the Father Son and Holy Spirit, with great confidence, knowing that God is not angry at me. God is not angry at me. Do you know that freedom, that God is not angry at you? That's what 1 John 4 is telling us, that God's love averts the wrath of God. It's one of the most freeing realities for a Christian to realize the justifying wrath of God is no longer on you. I want you to know that. There's a couple things I think we could do, and maybe you're not a Christian, 
I, I want you to know if you're not a Christian, that wrath is coming. And it can be dealt with in two ways. By you or by Jesus. Turn to Jesus and that wrath will be averted. If you have turned to Jesus, know with confidence that you can enter in to a holy and just God who is wrathful against sin with confidence because it has been averted. So go. Do not tarry till you're better. Go. Trust him. His arms are open. So we've seen that the love of Jesus is not floppy nor sloppy, that it atones and averts. But there's one last component to his love that I want you to see, is love animates. It atones, it averts, it animates. Consider Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. Just those two verses. I just want you to see that. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Did you hear it? His love animates us together with Christ. His love animates us together with Christ. God transforms the spiritually dead people into new creations in Christ Jesus. It's a lot of words. So what's going on here? Paul is talking about the union between God and his people. How God sent his son Jesus to become our atoning sacrifice, to take upon himself the wrath of God, averting it from us to him. We are united to Christ. We are one with him. But the Bible just doesn't stop at Christ's death. Christianity is not just of the cross. Christianity is also of the empty tomb. It's death to life. And we see this. We have been united with Christ in his death. Yes. Did you hear the atoning? Did you hear the aversion of the wrath? Yes. This is what happens to us when, when, we, when we trust Christ. All that stuff's been avoided. But what happens after? We are animated. I want you to go to your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, get your phone out. I want you to see this. This is so often neglected and missed. Romans chapter 6. I want you to see this. This is what Paul is talking about. Romans chapter six, we're gonna look at verse three and we're gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna teach this. But I want you to see that we are not just people of the cross, that we're people of the empty tomb. And the empty tomb changes a lot of things for us. Romans chapter six, verse three. This is what Paul's talking about. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So this is the death that we're talking about from the first two points that I'm talking about. This atoning death and this averting death. Verse four, we were buried therefore with him by baptism in death in order that, and here's the animating part, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, this by faith, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And we can often read this as just, that's going to come in the future when we die, that we'll be resurrected. No, it's both present and the future. Now skip to verse 8, and I'll show you. Verse 8 says this, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. 
We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And so here's this. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and what? Alive to God in Christ Jesus. His love animates. Did you hear that? This is his love. He not only dies for you, he makes you alive. It's the life that comes through the spirit. And what does this animating look like? What does this spirit-filled life look like? Can we, can we put a tangible reality on this? Or is this just some sort of like, you know, mysterious like quiver in our liver? Is this animating something that's tangible? Absolutely. Paul says in Galatians 5 that life in the spirit begets the fruits of the spirit. So those who have been made alive with Christ will begin to reflect love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The animated life is a life of these realities. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is what he does for you. His love is so great that he fills your life with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You tell me you don't want that. If you sell me on that, I got a, I got a nice place on Mars to sell you. This is the resurrection life. This is the love that he has for us, that he animates us to the place where we come fully alive. Do you know this love, my friends? Do you know it? A love that moves into the darkness and shines brightly. I hope you do. Uh, at Christmas, Kimberly and I, my wife, we um, give our kids presents, like most parents, but we try to keep it simple. Three simple presents, like a big present, a medium present, and a small present. In many ways, we've been given three big presents like we give my kids today. We've been given a great love. It's a love that atones, a love that averts, and a love that animates. I can guarantee you next Sunday, there's going to be a lot of joy in my, fa- my house. That same joy can be yours today. Oh, that you would look to Jesus, who loves you dearly, and allow him to love you. Friends, would you do that? And you will have much joy, joy like my children. Let me pray. Jesus, we give thanks to you for the love that you have for us. It is not floppy, nor is it sloppy. It is meaningful and significant. Lord, we give thanks to you for this great love. Without it, we are people who would be greatly pitied. Without it, we would not have much love or joy or peace. Lord, for those in here that are skeptical to that love, those in here... um, that are reluctant to do this, would they, with great joy, receive the very love that you have for them? Would you work in their hearts and their minds? Amen.